So years ago, I had an uh, older mentor tell me, Josh, the challenges that you face in life, the most important thing about them is what you do next. What you do on the other side of a challenge, what you do on the other side of the phone call that you weren't expecting to get. What you do on the other side of finding out that your child isn't really turning out the way that you thought they would turn out. That you thought for sure this is what your family was going to look like. You thought for sure you're going to have the perfect Instagram photo as a family and really what you have is just chaos behind the photo. If you're married, the challenge on the other side of your marriage when you look at your spouse and you wonder, we're not really the same people anymore. And it's difficult. And, and maybe you're in this place where for you, your, your marriage is one where your spouse has pulled away, said incredibly hurtful things to you. Maybe for you, the challenge today is a medical challenge, that you got a phone call you weren't expecting. You got news about a test that you weren't expecting to get. Or it's February, which means you're being reminded of all the bad decisions you made in December when you get your credit card bills this month. And for you, your financial challenge. And you think, how did we spend that much money? Really, I didn't, I didn't realize when I just cooked yes and buy and buy, I didn't realize it added up to that much. See, challenges come, and here's the thing about challenges, is that many of us are surprised when they hit. You ever notice this? We're surprised when life gets hard. We shouldn't be surprised. All around us, I mean, let's just talk about your friends for a while, okay? So all of your friends, you've watched your friends have marriage problems, you watch your friends have parenting problems, health problems, all these things. You've watched your friends eat horrible things for them, and you go, how could they eat those things? And then you eat those things. The problem is that there is an opportunity within challenges that most of us miss, and when we miss them, we actually miss all that God has for us. Now, the thing is, is you can't escape challenges, okay? You can't go to a church service and have somebody tell you, like, you can pray some kind of prayer or do some kind of thing and just magically with some essential oils sprinkled on top be able to get through life without challenges. It's just not possible. But here's the thing. One of the things we see over and over throughout life, you see the people who reach the the pinnacles of life when, when it comes to their marriage, their career, their passions. You see the people who reach the pinnacles, the people who live life without regrets. One of the things you see is that they were able to break through the challenges that hit them. You look at Scripture, everybody in Scripture who do incredible things for God, they're able to break through the challenges of life. And Paul, as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at this idea of how to win at life, because this is why we make every decision. Every decision we make is about winning at life, however we define winning at life. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy, says, Timothy, the way that you win at life is to not have regrets when you get to the end of it. The way that you win at life is you get to the end of your life and said, I have run my race. I've done everything that God has asked me to do. I have finished well. That's winning at life. And all of 2 Timothy is Paul laying out as he sits in a jail cell, as he's facing death, he writes to Timothy and says, do these things and this is how you finish well. This is how you will run your race. And one of the things has to do with how you handle hard times, how you handle difficulties. Because make no mistake, make no mistake, you will hit a wall at some point. You will hit a wall spiritually You will hit a wall financially. You will hit a wall relationally. 
you will hit a wall with your body where all of a sudden it just stops working the way that it used to. You will hit a wall with community where people walk out on you. You and I, and maybe today you're sitting there, maybe today you are looking at the wall in your life. You are staring at the wall going, I'm not sure how I get through this wall. We try to go around it, right? We think if I can just listen to some kind of podcast, read some kind of book, do some kind of class, if I could just work a little bit harder, we try to go around it. But really the reality is, is that the only way is through it. And Paul tells us when he writes in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he starts off with, with a verse that this is nobody's favorite verse in the Bible, okay? This is what it says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. No, this is not on anybody's coffee mug. This is not on anybody's, like, they don't knit this and put this in their bathroom. Like, they, like no one, this isn't anyone's favorite verse in the Bible. But here's the thing. The moment that hard times come, we're like, What? Like, who saw that coming? And Paul's like, I told you. Like I said, hard times will come. Now, here's the thing. With this verse, people will read this verse, and throughout history, passages like this, when it uses the phrase, the last days, people have debated since Paul, since Jesus was on earth, is this the last days? Is this the end of the world? Are we about at the place where Jesus is going to return and everything's going to change, and is this the last days? And throughout history, Every single Christian in the last 2,000 years has believed they were living in the last days, okay? Now, now some of you, d- depending on your church background, you've watched, you know, things on the news, you've watched social media, you're like, this has got to be the end of the world. And some of you are just watching it going, I hope this is like getting closer because <laughs> this feels like a tailspin. And Paul's saying, here's the reality, it might be the last days and the earth may just continue spinning on for thousands more years. We just don't know. But he says, in the last days is also a phrase that's used in, in biblical writing to talk about the progression towards the last days. Okay, so Paul is saying as we get closer, hard times will continue to come. Now this means, and this is important because... The longer you follow Jesus, you begin to see how your life and your spiritual journey has seasons and ebbs and flows. The, when you begin to follow Jesus, you, you're kind of surprised by it. See, when you start a relationship with Jesus and you start to read your Bible, you're just so excited. You just, you're just, you just keep devouring it. You're reading it. And every time you open the Bible, you're like, oh, man, look at this new thing. Like, I can't believe this. I, you read all these different stories. And you're like, did you know about this? Did you see this? Did you see this miracle? This is unbelievable. Where you go to your small group and, and things are great. Like you love your small group. You haven't found the group. You haven't found the annoying person in the group yet. It's just amazing. Giving, you know, you're, you're just like, oh man, I get to be generous. I get to serve. I get to do all these things. I, I pray and I feel God move. I see him active. But then, a wall. Then, a hard time. Then all of a sudden you get to the place where you get up and you're reading your Bible and you're like, I already read this story. There isn't anything new, I, and, I'm, and I'm struggling to hear God. And how come now when I pray, it's just silence? And, and there's not activity, and things aren't moving, and like the clouds aren't parting like they used to. And now, community's kind of stale. 
And now, like, for me to go deeper in community, like, I have to open up and I have to tell people stuff past my, like, unspoken prayer request. And, like, I don't want to do that. And we're at that wall. And there's this ebb and there's this flow to it. And Paul says, when you hit the dark nights, when you hit the wall, when you hit those moments of difficulty, don't be surprised. And and this is the problem in our life, especially in our spiritual journeys. We're surprised when we hit those walls. We're surprised when we hit those desert seasons. And yet, every single person who walked with God throughout Scripture walked the desert. They walked the wilderness. Now, some of them, like Jesus, you know, he, he was in the desert for 40 days. Moses, it was 40 years. The people of God in, in the book of Exodus, it was a generation. Now, some of you are going, okay, so how do we get the 40 days? Well, you got to be Jesus. So there's that. The more stubborn you are, the longer the desert seems to be in Scripture. So there's that. So if you're evaluating your stubbornness, you may have longer deserts than other people. But Paul says, don't be surprised when they happen. I remember I was having a really hard ministry season a few years ago, and I was talking to a mentor. I was just unloading. I was venting, and just, I, was, I was complaining. I was just complaining, and I wanted him to tell me, Josh, you are absolutely right. God should be better than this for you. Like, you deserve so much more. I wanted him to say that. And at the end of my unloading, he looked at me, and he goes, Josh, what did you expect this to be like? And I said, well, I expected it to be easy. I expected serving God to be easy. I expected God to give me everything that I prayed for because I'm serving God. And then he looked at me and he goes, who in the Bible got that? But I said, well, they should have gotten that. Like, that's what they should get. And I remember in that season, one of the things that God really showed me, and this is so important, is that sometimes our disappointments with God come not because he doesn't meet our expectations. Okay? They come because he doesn't meet our expectations, not because he didn't keep his promises. So here's the thing. God keeps his promises. It's just that his promises don't really fit our expectations. Okay? And, and I remember, this is, this is what the wall, this is what the desert, this is what difficulties and hard times teach you, is they teach you that many times we look at God the way that we look at Santa Claus. Okay, this is, many of us have a Santa Claus theology when it comes to God, right? I mean, just think about that song, okay? We sing it every Christmas. You better not pout, you better watch out. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town. And then what? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And then what's the next line? He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's how a lot of you look at God. A lot of you look at God that way. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you've been bad. He knows when you've been good. And what happens if you're good? Well, Santa gives you a good gift. That's what we expect God to do. If you've been bad, you get cold we expect God to do. Paul says, is that what happens? No, that's not what happens. But when challenges hit, when hard times hit, Paul tells us, don't be surprised. But then here's what Paul does, which I think is so, 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 so helpful, is he tells us then why 
hard times come our way? Because this is our question, right? We go, to, well, how did we end up here? How did I end up in this hard time? How did I end up in this difficulty? Now, the reality is, as you live life, you begin to see these different patterns in your life. You begin to see why it is that you have relational problems, why it is you have financial problems. You begin to see why it is that relationships don't play out the way that they should. You begin to see these things with the distance in life. But Paul tells us that there is a reason we end up in hard times. Look at verse 2. Kes says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedience to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. So Paul, Paul, one of the things he does throughout his, his letters is he writes all kinds of lists. Paul is a list person, okay? And, and so he writes and he says, this is what leads to difficulty and pain in life. This is what leads to the hard times. And he lists out 19 sins. Now, we would read this list and go, well, yeah. I mean, that makes total sense, Paul. Proud people, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloved. Yeah, all those things, that makes total sense. And then we go, but why am I in this mess? And what Paul does is that in these 19 sins, and we're not going to go through each one because we all do all 19 of them, and, and some of us do it more than others. So you, you do. So you can turn to the person next to you and just say, you do all 19 of these sins. Okay, you can just tell them. You can just tell them that because you do. But Paul lists these sins, and, and they fit into three different categories. And, and this is how I want us to think today. And, and if, you know, Katie had mentioned the next step email, if you check that, we're going to send to you just some questions under these three categories because the reason you and I hit walls and hard times in life is not the same reason why the person next to you hits walls and hard times in life. And in these 19 sins, in this list, we begin to see what it is that are the ditches that we're going to fall into. See, each of us struggle with something on this list more than the other ones. For some of you, you've read this and you're like, I'm not, I'm not reckless. I'm like the safest, most secure person. I don't do anything dangerous at all. I'm not reckless at all. And some of you are like, I'm surprised I'm still alive. Like, I'm surprised. Some of you, you're like, I've never, I've never been a traitor to anybody. And some of you are like, I've never trusted anybody. So each one of us falls for one of these things and multiple of these things differently. The first one, the first category that Paul has is the love of yourself. The love of yourself. Paul says they will be lovers of self. And the lovers of self, it, this is the temptation that we have when we care too much what other people think, when we try to make sure that we get taken care of. Now, this comes from all kinds of places. Maybe you grew up in a family that you just didn't trust that your needs were going to get met. So you think, I got to take care of myself. If I don't take care of myself, then who's going to take care of me? Well, slowly you begin to find that you're just not able to trust the people around you. See, many of us live lives and we're just trying to get everything we can out of life. And so we're selfish. We're selfish at work. We're selfish in our marriage. We're selfish in community. We're always the one who's not giving. Instead, we're just taking, 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 taking. We're constantly walking through our worlds going, what's in it for me? How do I get what I want? This leads us to give ourselves away in relationships. 
This, this leads to give, giving our hearts and our bodies and our souls away in relationships. This also can lead us to protecting ourselves in some pretty dangerous ways where we just don't let anybody get close because they can't hurt me if they don't get close to me. And so slowly, we make everything in our life about us. We are the center of the universe. And you see how this can actually lead to a whole bunch of problems. You and I know somebody in this category. Now, the next one is one that, that is pretty common in our culture, and that's the love of pleasure. They're lovers of self. He says they're unholy, unloving. They, they're without love for what is good. They love pleasure rather than love God. And this is this temptation to feel. This isn't, this isn't necessarily like a, a sexual pleasure all the time, but this is the temptation to feel alive, to just feel something. And this is also the temptation to just go overboard on everything. To just go overboard. This, this is the feeling that you get where you sit back and you're like, I can't believe I had that extra helping. And this temptation actually keeps us from experiencing the good gifts that God has for us. And Paul says, they're without self-control. And when we don't have self-control, we don't love what is good. And we're unloving, and we seek this pleasure just for ourselves. How can I get more? How can I get more? How can I get more? And this is a really dangerous place. Because we've all watched people who love pleasure completely wreck their lives, wreck their families. And this is the person that says, I, I deserve to feel. I deserve to feel. And the last one, this is one you expect. You came to church, so you expect me to talk about the love of money. But it's all over Scripture. And the love of money is not just the love of, like, trying to have more money. That's not the love of money always. For some of us, it is. The love of money is, you know, to have a bigger bank account. For some of us, the love of money is to hoard and hoard and hoard. You know, we want to make sure that we have our security just in case if the bottom falls out in life, God doesn't show up. This is the temptation to have. And Paul says that, that, that in these hard times, in these last days, there will be people who love themselves, love money, who love pleasure rather than love God. And so Paul wants us to ask, and he says to Timothy, okay, Timothy, if you want to finish well, you have to figure out which one of these three things is keeping you from loving God. Because there is something keeping you from loving God. There is something keeping you that, that, that is holding God at a distance. And whatever it is, that is the wall you have to break through. Now, if you don't know what it is for you, if you're married, just ask your spouse on the way home. They'll tell you. They know what it is. Ask your closest friends, hey, which one of these three are mine? They're like, bro, how do you not see it? Because it's easier for us to see it in other people's lives. And so, and, and here's another way. If you, another way to know which one of these three is yours is the one that you hope nobody asks, is this one yours? That's another way to know. But Paul says something that, that is startling then in verse 5. 
He says that the people who do all of these things, who love money, who love themselves, who love pleasure instead of loving God, he says in verse 5, they hold to the form of godliness but deny its power. And he said, avoid these people. And he says, and this should stop us in our tracks because he says it is possible for people to, to do all of these things and think that they're right with God. That it's possible for people to do all of these things and think, well, like, I'm better. I'm, I'm more godly looking than other people. This is people who are prideful but act like humble martyrs. This is people who are looking at porn and fantasizing about someone they're not married to and acting like they have integrity. This is the person who loses their temper with everybody close to them in their life and then they walk into their small group and they, ha- they act like they have their act together. This is the person who worries about every single dollar, every single cent, and goes, but I give, so I'm a good Christian. But they're constantly worrying, constantly not trusting God. This is the person who could score 100% on a Bible knowledge exam, but their life looks nothing different than the person who lives next door who doesn't follow Jesus. See, and all throughout the New Testament, we're told, the writers of the New Testament say, hey, you can do all the right things, you can say all the right things, you can know all the right things, and still not be in a relationship with Jesus. And that, every single time we read those verses that should startle us. That it is possible for us to fool ourselves to think we're something that we're not. See, and this is the hard truth. The person who, who holds a form of godliness but denies its power, this, this hard truth is that being religious is not the same thing as following Jesus. And we think it is. We think that being religious is the same thing as following Jesus. Acting like a Christian is not the same thing as being one. Saying the right things at the right time is not the same thing as being changed. Because even James, the brother of Jesus, says, well, even the demons believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Even the demons know that truth. And yet, they're demons. And so Paul says, avoid those people and avoid, why why should we avoid that? Because the people we are with affect how we live. So he says, avoid those people. Then he says in verse six, for among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so they also resist the truth. There are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make any further progress for their foolishness will be clear to all as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. And so Paul says these false teachers, the people who are infiltrating this church, are going after a specific person in this church, and that's the women. Now, Paul isn't saying that women are more gullible than men. He's not saying that women are more likely to sin than men. He's not saying those things. What he's saying is that in this culture, women were typically the ones who were working at home, who were typically the ones who had, had more idle time on their hands than men did. And so what Paul is saying, that women then in this idleness started to believe things that were contrary to the truth. 
And now this is important because the Bible talks so much about the importance and the benefit and the blessing of rest and Sabbath and the dangers of idleness. You know this. You know when you're most likely to sin? When you're bored. That's when you're most likely to sin. When you're just sitting there and you're like mindlessly scrolling and you're like, oh, I shouldn't be looking at that. When you're bored is when you are most likely to sin. And so Paul says, be aware of that. When you're bored, that's when you talk yourself into, I deserve this. I should have that extra helping of ice cream. I should have that. It's been a long day. I should have that second, third, fourth, fifth drink. It's been a really rough day. When we're not idle and bored, we're less likely to sin. And so Paul says, be aware then of who you're with. Why? Because Janus and Jambres were trying to lead the people of God away from what Moses was saying. And he said, there will be people in your life, and this is what's important. There will be people in your life when you hit the hard times who will come along and say, you shouldn't trust God anymore. You know, you're right. You should just go and do that. But Paul says, be aware of the people who are giving you the advice. Why? And you know this. If you're a parent, you've told your kids this. Who you hang out with is who you become. You've told them that. You've read all the quotes by people that say you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And we all think we're the one who's going to like prove that wrong. You do, but then you don't. It's all throughout scripture. What is it? Bad company what? Corrupts. Have you ever noticed that you rarely, rarely sin and wreck your life by yourself? Did you ever notice that? It's usually with a group. It's usually with somebody. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be aware. Because there will be people who worm their way into your life who say the right things but don't actually have the right heart. Who will say, yeah, you should leave him. Who will say, yeah, you know what? You don't need to be generous like you. You're so much more generous than everybody else that I know. Like that's the scale. Be wary of the person who says, you know what? You deserve more of God's blessings than you're getting. I'm not sure why God hasn't given you more good gifts. Here's Paul. Do you think Paul sitting in a jail cell facing death is going, I got coal. And this is why he says, this is why he lists the names that he does. And then at the end of chapter four, he says to Timothy, please hurry and come to me and bring so-and-so and bring this with them because I want to be with the right people. See, at the end of our lives, when things become a whole lot clearer, we start to see these are the people who will actually spur me to the character that God is forming. Because if we're lovers of God, then we want to be around the people who will encourage us and push us and say, no, 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 
no, you don't want to do that. You don't want that. You don't want to take a left when you should go this way. You don't want to do that. They're the people who say, hey, how are you growing in your love of God? How are you becoming more like Jesus? How is the difficult season you're walking through right now forming a character in you that is more like Christ? Instead of the person who says, man, you should totally bail on this whole idea. Because he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, be aware, because there will be people who will enter your life when the hard times come. Have you ever noticed this when difficulties come? They show up. Did you ever notice this? Like, it's not hard at all for you to find somebody to tell you. Yeah, man, you totally don't deserve that. That's not hard. Like, I needed my friend who looked at me to say, hey, Josh, like, what did you think this was going to be like? Because that was, that was a moment, okay? Make no mistake, that was a moment where if he would have looked at me and said, yeah, you totally deserve more easy steps. But instead, he said, what did you think God promised you? And I had to evaluate, did God promise me this? Because some of us right now, we are, we are going after loving money, after loving ourselves, after loving pleasure. And nobody is, we're not, either we're not listening to them or we're not bringing people into our life who is saying, is this really going to get you to where you want to be? So as we close today, as we take communion, here's what I want us to use this passage for. Because this is, this is a... This is not like an exciting, uplifting passage. But Paul wants us to know, especially before we get to, the next, to next week, where Paul lays out how is it that we actually move forward into the life that God has for us through Scripture. But he wants us to evaluate which of these three things, the love of yourself, the love of pleasure, and the love of money, which of these three things is the thing that is keeping you from loving God? One of those things is, it might be all three, too. And as we take communion, here's how I want us to, to approach this moment. Because as we take communion each week, we also try to just pause and just, and just stop to take stock of just where we are. And as you think of these three things, the love of yourself, the love of pleasure, the love of money, within there is an area of your heart for you to confess to God, to say, God, this is the love that I have that is keeping me from loving you. This is the love that I have that is keeping me from experiencing the love of God. This is the thing that I have substituted for God. And so as we, as we approach this moment of taking communion, I want us to use this moment to just stop and to confess. And if you're new, we, we don't confess out loud, so you don't need to do it out loud. But just to God, to say, God, this is the, this is the area. This is the love that I have that I have replaced you with. So why don't you just take a moment right where you are, and then I'll lead us through communion as the band comes up.